Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Here we go again, Brendan here with Mark, vetgurus.com, vetgurus at gmail.com to contact us, send us an email, say hello, tell us what you've been doing, what animals you've been treating, what worked, what didn't work, what you've been up to this weekend, this week, this year. Mark, how are you? Mark, how are you? You need to unmute yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, usually, I usually don't even press that button. I usually just um, trust that the background noise in my travelling studio um, will not be enough to cause any hassle. But um, I was worried about some background noise there, so I shut it down and I clean forgot. So I was telling you what a wonderful time I was having, how good I'm going, how the cases have been going well. Um, and, um, <laughs> and you didn't get and, any of it. And you're on mute, yes. And we need to check out now and um, we'll talk to you all next week. Um, so good to hear your voice, Mark. And this is a little special episode that um, doesn't have any date stamp on it. So we'll throw it in when we, when most likely you are out of um, communication with the world and uh, we have to put a little keeper episode in there. Although we may have to do one when we catch up at some stage soon as well. Um, although that might be in the past, Mark, depending on when we post this episode. <laughs> so I won't um, confuse the matter anymore. Um, anything to report, Mark? Any um, comments on gear to review uh, movies that you've seen, books that you've read, etc. I think that um, the only thing I'm keen to, because of, you mentioned it before, um, I'm looking at, um, uh, what is it, Starlink. I'm looking at um, maybe getting some satellite, uh, uh, travelling satellite arrangement, so I'm not depending on uh, the more... Um, the more traditional um, telecommunication services to um, allow me to contribute to the podcast. So, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I haven't got one yet, but um, we'll, we, I'll, I'll be very pleased to be able to give you a report on... Uh, on I know some of um, our colleagues have taken advantage of Elon Musk's thousands of satellites roaming the Earth, Um to, to improve their connection to the world. Um, and I'm thinking of heading that way, and, and that will be one of my future reviews, Brendan. Well, I'll look forward to that, Mark. Um, you'll be plugged into Skynet, and uh, hopefully we will still see you or listen to you or hear every week mark i don't have anything particular to review although i i'll do a quick mention of something that i've now thought of off the top of my head i went to a i went to a bit of an antiquarium bookshop mark um a couple of weeks ago and potted around uh, their photography section which was quite extensive and oh, gee there was some books there i wanted to buy and i did end up buying one book i tried to um, limit myself and not go crazy and i found a i found a book of a, a photographer from the 
late 1890s to the 1920s mark, an Australian um, or a German-born um, individual who ended up settling in Australia, Mark, and um, he was a pioneer of photography, and I'd never heard of him. Lint is his name, L-A-N-D-T, um, same as the chocolates, um, but um, no relation at all, and um, some amazing um, initial the initial albumin sort of type plates that they used to make um, and a real historical sort of archive treasure of certain areas of, um, well, New South Wales, but also, and then he settled in Melbourne and, and um, in Mel- Melbourne in the 1890s, Mark, it was amazing. And then the Goldfields region. And interestingly enough, he ended up retiring up Towards my way in Hillsville, Mark, in 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 um, northeast Melbourne um, area, the Yarra Valley region. For those of you who know the Yarra Valley region of Melbourne, and um, some of the photos are amazing, Mark. Um, um, historical photos of, of the region, and um, I've I'd, I've loved the book, and that's why I purchased it because it was just these amazing plates of of history um, from I think around about eighteen eighty to 19, yeah, 1920 or so. Um, and, uh, gee, things have changed, although some of the buildings, those magnificent buildings that were built in Melbourne, especially during the gold rush period, which were quite ornate and um, um, they'd spend a lot of money on because they had a lot of money during the gold rush, um, are still still around to this day. But it's, um, it's quite funny looking at the actual... Um, carriageways and the roads um, that have now been taken over by, you know, bitumen, etc. that just used to have horse and cart or or maybe two or three people there um, in the back. I'll have to show it to you next time we, we I catch I just had up. a quick, um, while you've been talking, just had a quick scan, did a image search for John William Lint. And, yes. um, and yeah, they're, they're fascinating images. They're, and um, and, and he, he, had, he had a very, very, um, sorry to cut you off, very, um, he's very well known for a particular type of ethnography. So yes. um, taking photos of, um, um, you know, people and, and, and documenting the, the, the first Australians um, uh, in in particular poses, sort of um, naturalistic type poses, which weren't typically done in those days, and they regarded as sort of revolutionary. Um, his method of, of of taking these sort of studio portraits um, with with backgrounds and and props, I suppose. Um, um, so he, there's a couple of really unique aspects of it, and this book goes into details about um, the importance of him. And I'd literally never heard of him. Mark, had you heard of him before? No, I had not. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I was, I was quite quite chuffed with the find of that book. And, and isn't um, that always the way? Like when when um, I know you've got a Kindle, haven't you, Brendan? Yes. And I thought when these electronic reading devices came around, it would spell the death of um of uh of books in general and um but but crikey's the the bookstores that, that i've been going into seem to be thriving there seems to be an increased interest in in the the hard form the the uh the dead the, trees yeah, the dead trees. That's right. Um, and you know that we've talked about this before. Um, old books seem to not only carry the information that's on the surface of their pages, but um, they tell stories that go just beyond the the printed word. And and going into those antiquarian bookstores, uh, just always um, 
makes me feel good and makes me yes. yeah, just happy yes. to feel the textures and odors and smells and yeah yes, those yep. moldy moldy pages <laughs> yes I, I i do have a few i'm lucky enough to have a few uh, antique i suppose we could call them or um veterinary books mark and occasionally i pull those ones out as well and it's quite fascinating um one of them is a pathology text which was 1940s or so 1950s and uh um, lists all the all the diseases that have been reported in a range of, of species and you know mainly confined to dogs and cats and horses and and cows and sheep but um the you know one of the glaring obvious things with it is there's, there's um there's no mention of cancer at all because they didn't um they didn't know you know they didn't know what neoplasia was so there's these conditions are reported as you know these lumps that are occurring on the animals but there's no concept of of neoplasia at all um so it's 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 just fascinating looking at the the comparison and the historical aspects of of development of, of medicine um so sometimes yeah, need to see where we were to see how far we've come i reckon brendan yep absolutely so there you go so that's what i, I was up to and i expect that i'll a lovely lovely man who owns the the bookshop that's the bookshop's named after him called sainsbury's bookshop in melbourne and uh i'll be back there again and i think i mentioned to you that i i managed to sneak um have a little look around the the rest of the shop and it's a very good collection there and i stumbled across uh some of the old books from uh the uk and um some amazing old books about london um and in the old dickens times and um i was just amazed um, fantastic just just reading so and that, that's all the traditional leather bound books and you, you're handling a book that's 150 years old and it was discussing the suburbs of london and what you could do and which place to live in and which was seedy and not and and then had some very delicate um, black and white, obviously, um, plates or drawings um, that were inserted into it that were just exquisite, and uh, I was very tempted to buy that one as well. It's, 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 um, yeah. I think next time I'll, I might be purchasing that that particular. Good book. on you. Um, so there you go, Mark. That's my review. Um, Sainsbury's Books in Melbourne, and a, a very solid eight point six out of ten. And I think with that, I'm going to jump into, well. Or are you? No, I'll jump into mine because my news story, it's not really much of a news story. It's just one of these crazy, um, crazy articles that you see. And um, it popped up on my news feed. And uh, I think it was a bit of a clickbait one again. It's uh, And the title is Terrifying Picture Shows Unidentified Creature Roaming Through Texas Zoo. And puzzling photos have emerged of a strange unidentified creature wandering around a Texas zoo was actually just outside the the, the, the wire fence of the zoo, leaving city officials dumbfounded. Uh, it's in uh, Amarillo Zoo, Mark, um, on May the 21st, 2022. was um, had a little still photo of it, which was shown um, from the security camera at around 1.30am, Mark, of this really weird-looking creature that's um, standing up on... on its hind legs and uh, they're not quite sure what the animal is and it they've they've labeled it as the unidentified 
Amarillo Object Mark UAO, and they want the public's help in identifying this. I have a sneaky suspicion it's a bit of a marketing campaign for this particular zoo. Having said all of that, because looking at the particular photo, it's it looks like just some drunk person um, dressed up with a with a, a, gonna, a wolf hat on or something. I was going to ask you <laughs> what, what you the closest university to Amarillo Zoo is, because <laughs> it looks like some college prank gone very wrong. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know why it's scored. And I did another recent, this is a, a while ago at the time we were recording this, and I did another bit of a, a Google search on this particular um, article, and it was reported in, in, in many news feeds, Mark. So um, whoever did the uh, publicity for this, I think, has done a very good job in promoting it. Um, so, <laughs> we'll yeah, we'll follow uh, this. And it's... As, uh, we'll follow it um, um, with, with great interest, Mark, and as usual with um, any sort of photo of um you know bigfoot or any of these sort of mystical type creatures it, it's um very blurry um and it's at night and it's black and white and uh, you know through the uh, cyclone wire fencing yeah exactly and i reckon he's got he's got something he's holding something in his left hand there mark it looks like a, I've, I've zoomed a, in on a barbecue it too fork and... or something yeah <laughs> and no clothes except for the yeah. strange fox-like mask <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes. we'll, we'll so there you go. That's my news article, Mark. But we'll 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 keep our readers or our listeners in in touch with any updates on that. But um, I have a sneaky suspicion that um, it's just somebody dressed up in a in a mask. Well, my story, Brendan, is um, well, I, I I dare say it's a little bit more serious than yours. Um, the the um the world's heaviest freshwater fish. Has been um, has been found, and and there's so many things I like about this story. Um, the the fish in question was a 661 pound stingray, so that would make it about, I suppose, 300 kilos. And um, yep, it, spot on 300. Yep, it it, um, it uh, bumped out the the previous record holder by a good 30 odd pounds, and um, yeah, so. Um, this uh, stingray was caught in the Mekong River in Cambodia, um, and it's the heaviest freshwater fish that's ever been documented. I was over the moon to hear that um, that uh, a catfish was the previous uh, the previous winner in northern Thailand in two thousand and five. Six hundred and forty six pound catfish, um, but this stingray um, was not only um, caught and identified, um, and um, and weighed, but then released. This is the best news, and not only this, Brendan, but um, the incidence of these very large freshwater fish has been taken by researchers to suggest. I mean, these things have to live for a long time to get to a large size. Um, and the environments they live in need to support them for a long time and and provide them with the ability to, you know, not be caught by um, fishermen who might not be so kind as to let them go. And so um, the presence of these extremes, the very, very large fish, um, is taken as a good indicator that um, the environment might be maybe changing to support... Um, 
to support um, the species as a whole. Um, geez, I wouldn't. I'm, when I was a much younger person, and I used to enjoy um, company of my father, and one of the things that he would do would be to go fishing. And so I have held, uh, long since stopped fishing, but um, I have held a line with a stingray on it, not a very big one. And, um, geez, a 661-pound one would have um, bent the reel over, Brendan, I reckon. It's a big stingray. It's a big stingray. Um, I was going to say something about um, the Irwins and keeping away from it, but um, that would be... Poor form, Mark. Um, but it was fantastic. That I think it was part of a research project, was it? Um, Read right in between the lines, or, or further on there. Um, I think it was. I think that the the villagers were fishing for sustenance, but they have been working with um okay. with researchers, and so when this fish came around, they um they yeah they were happy to contact the researchers and get them to get all the biometrics and. Um, yeah, it, it's a feel-good story, and particularly good that they um, ended up letting it go. The photo just gives you some idea of how um, how bloody big it, big it is. Jeez, um, I, I I know I, you you were talking about um, Steve Owen and and his demise um, being around the bull rays of the uh, uh, Great Barrier Reef, and I don't know whether these freshwater stingrays have as powerful a, a tail spear a ta- um yeah I, I, there, there seems to be a lot of people very close to it um, in that <laughs> photograph yes it's it's and we'll have a link to it at vetgurus.com the picture there um of it it's and they are looking like they're they're looking after it very very well aren't they they've they've got it sort of uh, a, a plastic tarpaulin or something underneath it there, and they're they're doing their measurements of it, and uh, they've obviously weighed it as well before releasing it. So they've they've respected that um, magnificent animal. How, how old do you reckon that would be, Mark? How old do you reckon that would have to be I, to get I to that size? Uh, I, I wouldn't want to have. You would think that. Yeah, old. I don't know. I often think about dinosaurs as a side issue, and um, I think that um, uh, the recent research suggests that dinosaurs would um, grow very, very quickly to their gigantic size, and so um, the fish might not be that old, but um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be suspicious that it's a 15 to 30-year-old fish. Yes. It's been it's yes. been on the it's been in the good part of the Mekong Delta. I can tell you that much. It's yeah, it's been um, living a good life. I think it's um, it's been doing well, and hopefully it'll continue to do well. So yeah, a good news story, Mark, all round. Well, let's jump into. Jesus is a topic that um, you wanted. You suggested a very long time ago, isn't it? Um, and I think you've been sure. a bit, bit worried about it. A bit. Well, where? I th- no, I just think it's something that we could spend several podcasts talking about. So I'm just trying to decide how we may tap- tackle this. And this is social media for veterinary practices. Um, and I think what we should, well, let's just get stuck into it, hey, and, and we'll talk about 
the fact that these days, with these youngsters, Mark, um, that, that social media is certainly something that we cannot ignore anymore as far as our practices. So how... Well, I'm going to quiz you. I think that's probably the best way of doing it because you're the social social media guru of the vet gurus, Mark. Um, how you go about um, attacking it um, as far as presenting your clinic on social media and perhaps if we chat a little about how not only how to use it to your advantage to, I suppose, market or, or, or tell some good news stories about your clinic, but what things to avoid, Mark, what, not what what not to do, Mark. So um, do you want to give us some examples of what, what you would define as some of the social media platforms that are available these days? Well, I think the good thing, to start with, Brendan, I think the title of this uh, little talk is a good one just to dwell on for a second. Um, this is, social, we want to talk about social media for veterinary practices. Um, and that's a different thing than um, social media for maybe our personal purposes. Um, I think yep. it has to, uh, social media has to serve a very specific purpose for a veterinary practice. And one of the things about um, social media for veterinary practices is that I think you have to be very switched on to making sure that it provides a return on investment. I, don't, I think it's very easy. I mean, that whole, the whole way social media works is that it can suck a whole lot of time and interest and attitude um, and emotion. Um, you have to be very, very conscious of why you're investing that time and emotion and the return on investment has to be very, very good in my opinion. And you, you uh, hinted at um, the different um, uh, uh, online ecologies, the different locations that people might think about uh, putting their practice and and there's the usual um, culprits. There's Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, TikTok. Um, and I think they probably cover the larger portion of the ones that veterinary practices should be across. Um, I think that um, veterinary practices need to be aware of uh, uh, Weibo, the the um, the Chinese um, focused uh, social media. I know that there's even in uh, countries outside China, Chinese social media plays an important role, and it's important to be aware of that. Um, uh, the f uh, Pinterest, I think Instagram's interesting, uh, an interesting example of how social media changes, and I think that's the thing. If anyone's telling you this is the way that a veterinary practice needs to run their social media, this is the the forum they need to use and um, they need to just keep pounding away at it, um, don't listen to them because this is a constantly changing environment. And what might we might say here today in this podcast um, might not apply in only a relatively short amount of time. Instagram's the classic example where changing photo formats and attempts to favour videography over photography has completely changed Instagram over the last few months. And the algorithm um, which served quality photography so well now actually punishes it. So I think yeah, you just have to keep your ear to the ground a little bit, not spend too much time on it, uh, but make sure that uh, the actual... Um, 
the actual form of social media that you use is serving the practice's needs. Yeah, because you might bury a lot of time into one of these platforms and they're not around anymore. Um, so they That's may a, a go classic away, example. which I think is exactly what you're hinting at there, Mark. So, and yeah, whether you like them or not, I think um, it, it is part of um, clients will be using them um, regardless. And I think you need to start thinking about at least having a basic pre- presence on at least at least one or more of them. And, and the obvious classic one that most, if not all practices or businesses will have a have at least a front is is facebook isn't it mark and i think the logic for facebook is that um um i saw some research which suggested that the um the person most contributing to the decisions about um the finances for the family pet um is um is a young mother um, and the social media that um, that they spend most of their time on is uh, Facebook, and so I think that's a a good, you know, Facebook is a good place to start because you're most likely to see financial effects flow through to the practice if you're doing that stuff well on Facebook, Brandon. So why do you use it, Mark? So what's the what, what's the basics oh, of what you suggest? Question. You ask what's the best the ba- questions. <laughs> So let's just nut it out to the basics of what you suggest people list or do um, as far as their posts in these well, social the, the media. Key, the, the objectives have to be um, to recruit new clients and to bond existing clients. That's why you want to be on social media. You don't. You're not after um, you know going viral. You're not after what you really want is to convert the people who are following you on social media to clients and have those clients bonded to you. That's the objective. Um, and so there are things to um, to do to, to maximise that. If you can maximise the number of people that see you on in social media as, as actual clients, um, then you will see a, a, that, you know, a change to the business's finances. Um, and if you don't, if you spend your time on social media just accruing followers, um, then you will interact with a whole lot of people that do not bring the business any money. And that's, you know, the problem with a real world business. You've got to have people walk through the door to make money and you can spend all the time in the world in social media world and um, not have them actually spend any money at your business. And that's, I think, one of the the negatives of the social media, isn't it? It can suck a lot of time, um, suck you dry, Mark, um, if you're not careful. So I think it's making sure you have a clear outline and a clear purpose, as, as you briefly mentioned there, about what why you're using it for the business and, and make sure you stick to that and don't get drawn down to some of the rabbit holes and, and the negatives, which we'll, we'll get on to shortly, which can be... Well, they can be soul destroying for some people when when things go bad with um, um, tit for tat conversations with with um, some of these social media um, reviews, for instance, which we'll we'll need to touch on now. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we're we're going to promote the business. We're going to try and retain um, our good clients, Mark, and 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 what some of the simple. Um, catchy methods that you would be using on those platforms to help do that? 
Well, I th- what, the way I think about it, Brendan, is to um, try and take pretty good photographs. Photographs are, are critical and try and make them about the animals um, that are, you know, either in hospital, you might take a photograph of uh, a bunny in one of the clean hospital cages. You might take a photograph of the ferret playing with one of the staff. Um, those, you oh, and that leads me on to, as a quick aside, when you get a consent, one of the things we should all have on our consent forms yes. these days is not just, uh, yes, I've had the estimate, yes, go ahead with the procedure, I've had the procedure discussed with me, um, go ahead with it. We also need a... Uh, permission to take and use photographs Um, and uh, what I find is that mm, 99% of people are over the moon first of all that you ask and then they're pumped when they uh, actually um, get an image on their feed uh, for their you know of their animal so um, so making sure that uh, that they like the page so that they um, they do get information about their pet when it does pop up um, but making sure you've got permission to do that there are certain circumstances um, uh, that uh, real world circumstances where people don't for good reason for good sound reason don't want their animal on social media and um, and it's much better to find out that out before you put the post up than afterwards Brendan. yes and you taught me that um, and I'm um, forever and gratitude to you, Mark. Um, put in on our consent form. It's only sort of one sentence there. Do you, it's all you know, it needs we, to be. We often use um, pictures to to promote the practice. Um, are you happy for your animal um, to have pictures taken and or posted on social media? Um, and a little yes or no tick box is the way we do it, Mark. There and like you mentioned, probably at least nine out of ten will will tick yes. Um, we get the odd. The nurses have the 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 um, nurse admitting the patient may have the odd client that would say you know what's this all about and they just explain it and once they explain it the vast majority will say yeah that's um no problems at all so there's no hidden agenda with it i think it's the important thing that you're trying to get across to them that, um, and it's amazing how many people are just so proud that they'll be you know cross-posting the fact that you took a picture of their ferret in the clinic and um, they'll post it to all their friends and it will go well mini viral within that yeah. community won't it um that that um that um, Freddie the ferret um, was in the vet clinic for his little surgery, but it is very important, Brendan, and um, and you know the the other the other level, I suppose, the other thing to be aware of, and and this is where a social media policy for the hospital is important, um, is that um, I have been aware of cases where. Um, wonderful nurses have had um, maybe a rare bird come in um, and a rare, a tame rare bird. Um, they've had it sitting on their shoulder, got beautiful photographs and then posted them to their personal social media and that's gotten back to clients. And so um, it's very important to uh, preempt the social media activity of the practice with a social media policy that makes it abundantly clear to employees that they're not to um, 
uh, go off pissed and and start posting some of the things that they do at work on their personal um, on their personal social media. Yep, great point. Great point. So, um, getting back to what, what we're going to put, do, you want to give a couple of examples, uh, other examples. So, one was um, that that rabbit or that that sort of cutesy look of it of one of the clinic staff playing with the animal. What about posting? And the pros and cons of posting a picture or a little commentary about a, a, a patient that has had a procedure, Mark. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think that it's there's great evidence that the Facebook algorithm in particular punishes um, blood and gore. So um, there is, you know, the opportunity to have um, images about a procedure, um, but it's very likely that um, uh, that Facebook will make it more difficult for people to see them and and punish that post <laughs> so that um, that it doesn't get spread around. And there's there's good um, when in the early days of social media when we were trying to educate people, we probably did post some images that um, for people in the veterinary industry weren't that shocking, but um, when foisted upon the general public probably did cause some uh, distress or upset um, and I think it's it's good to just have that thought in your head this is not a medium where we're trying to uh, uh, teach people um, complicated medical things or uh, teach them about um, the details of surgery with uh, um, its attendant uh, bleeding and and meaty images, um, those things don't go down well at all. Um, and the education that you might think that you're putting out there rarely ends up having the desired effect. So really focusing on the cutesy stuff. I, I say it with a, um, a little bit of chagrin because I'd love social media to be a better educational forum, but um, what really works is... Um, the fluffies and uh, interactions with uh, the um, the beautiful animals. And, um, yeah, so I think you've got to aim for that sort of, you know, cultivate those photographs. And even if you are doing post-surgical images, um, you've got to do it in such a way that you, um, you might have a dozy animal post-anesthetic when it's um, safe to take a photograph, uh, but you've got to make sure that you don't show the gory stuff, Brendan. Yep, and I think you hinted to one other aspect of it too is the well, the short attention span is what I call it. So making sure that that story is just a a little a little time period. So you know, a few seconds. Um, it takes the person to read that article. You know, thirty seconds, one minute or so at at, at um at the maximum. So that um. That's why they call it, you know, TikTok and Snapchat and all those ones where, where it's just a small little section of, of video or, or a little story there. So um, not having a a diatribe, a, a long, you know, paragraphs of comments about um, the, the fantastic job your clinic did um, with dealing with a particular animal. It needs to be short and sharp and sweet, doesn't it? That you nailed it once again, Brendan. It really is important to... And I, you know me, I have this problem endlessly that I want to craft the perfect um, educational um, uh, diatribe that um, that I 
that I can go on for a little waffle on for a little bit too long sometimes, and um, and that just doesn't work. People lose interest very. You you well described it as an attention span issue. You want it to be punchy. You want it to be um, out there, and you want a call to action if you can manage it in many of these posts. So if you're putting a an image of um, a rabbit that's recovering from uh, a desexing procedure, um, then you can make it punchy that we desex them because they get uh, female rabbits get um, uterine adenocarcinoma, they get cancer, um, and you should call our clinic today to get your rabbit booked in for this life-saving procedure. Those call to action posts are. Uh, excellent for generating business and looking for the angle in each of those photographs that you can make a call to action, right? Because it does, as you said, just wash over people. If they're not moved to do yes. something, um, then then it's gone. And, and whatever presence you had in their mind for that period of time that they were looking at the photos, good, bad, or indifferent, um, it's gone pretty quickly. And so unless you have a call to action, call us for this reason, for that reason, uh, book it in, um, then, then a lot of the effort that you go to in uh, crafting these posts is wasted. Yep. Perfectly said, Mark. And making them, as you mentioned, positive, positive, positive posts, you know, don't have any sort of negative aspect to it. Even if it's a negative condition like <laughs> uterine cancer in, in, um, in the rabbits, um, the positive spin on it is get your rabbit in. We can, we can avoid that can, potential, yeah. um, uterine neoplasia by coming to us and having your animal desex. So yes, always. It's just like the, the way you live, Brendan, endlessly positive. That's the, <laughs> as soon as you bring <laughs> that. That negativity to um, to social media it seeps through everything and and just makes it sucks up time it it makes things more difficult. Um, people do not respond in that environment to to uh, a negative. You know, if you were to say, you know, all the bad owners um, don't use Revolution on their ferret, um, and so everyone should go and do that, um, then then people just switch off and don't they that's gone and they're not even paying attention anymore um so each time look to um choose the positive aspect of the story and emphasize that with a call to action which gets to our final part of this mark and i think we should just spend only a few minutes hopefully on this even though it's a it's a it's a big topic topic and that's the negative review mark so what is your approach to the negative review on one of these platforms and the you know the classic one there is a a negative google review for the business on google you know business website or or even a negative review on on facebook or a, a, a slightly smaller subset like a community facebook page yeah. um in your local region where they say you know do not go to mark's clinic because X happened there when I took my species Y to him and it's now dead and um, he charged me a fortune and um, killed my animal. So um, we've all had it, um, unfortunately, and it happens in not just the veterinary industry but um, virtually every every industry, doesn't it, Mark, where you get some, you, you unfortunately have a negative review at some stage um, or many of them. Um, and how do you approach that um, 
reply to that, Mark? Do you reply? I think you've got to play that a little bit by ear. I think um, you've said this to me numerous times. I think the first step is to calm down. Don't go with whatever your first response is when you see the... And most of the time, my first response is, oh, that's not entirely true. You, you're not describing the full circumstance. It comes across in social media. Those responses come across as justifications and and they don't make um, much of a difference to, to the effect of the bad review. And I think you've got to make a, a bit of a judgment call about First of all, you've got to um, try and detach your emotions. However bad the review is, it's there are there are ones that are um, business changing, but fortunately they're very rare, um, and the vast majority of reviews are not going to have. You know, you're going to be two years down the track, and the business will be thriving, and no one will even remember what's what was talked about. So, calm down is the first thing. The second thing is to if the Review is made in anger by a, by a client who's angry, and but it's made in relative good faith. Then I think it is good to engage on the level of we're not trying to manage this review, but we're going to say to you that we see that you have a problem with our business. We don't quite fully understand it from our point of view. Come and talk to us. That sort of response online doesn't invalidate um, criticism. It doesn't sound like a justification, but it sounds like a business that many people would like to do business with. It sounds like these are people that care that maybe something did happen, who knows, who cares, but at least they're approaching it from a constructive uh, rather than um, antagonistic approach. And I think that's probably the best way to go. Do everything that you can do to to um, you know, shut a bad review down. There are some ways that you can limit, not always, but some ways you can limit depending on the, the form of social media, how far that goes and who sees it. Um, and I think you should exercise all those efforts. Um, but definitely a um, low-key response that... Uh, that is courteous and suggests that a person comes in and, and has a bit of a yarn about what they see as the nature of the problem, that tends to diffuse the review for people who might be, um, might you know, you might never get that client back, um, but it's the people who read it and their understanding that you've taken the time to respond that way makes a world of difference, Brendan. Yes. Well, you've... You've outlined a very logical approach to the to the issue there, Mark. Although at the time of, of seeing a negative review, you get a real pit in your stomach, don't you? You, oh, get, yeah. you, you think, oh, my God, um, here we go again. Um, here we go again. Thankfully, it's few and far between between for for um for a lot of us these days which is which is um probably a good indication that we must be doing something right but it will happen whether you're a new graduate or or an experienced um veterinarian and it's um i think yeah taking that breath mark and and um not talk to i think that's one of the things that um you know i've always found it valuable one of the many things about getting you on the phone is that um you settle me down and and just finding someone that you can go 
you know, unload on and then they can go, okay, well, I hear you, but you're going to have to deal with it this way. I reckon that uh, that's an excellent step. Find find a, a person who you can bang their ear and and, um, and and then you can approach it with far less emotion once you've burnt it off. Yep. Stop, think, chat to people, chat to your staff, um, and, and then craft a reply. And as you outline like there, you know. Yeah, that's well said. Acknowledging the fact that this person is upset, and, and and more often than not, like most misunderstandings, it's a it's a communication issue. Um, but it's extremely hard to try and address that uh, through a through a social media. <laughs> and I think um, you're right. I think the, the key thing is, is not to not to dwell on that. You know, whatever they said about the details of the case, leave that out of the response all together you know the the only circumstance um no i don't I, I was trying to think of a case where the only we've had a couple of reviews where um they've been people that have never been to the practice and and um and i'm certainly i don't think that's a bad thing to point out and you know we'd love to talk to you about your opinion of the practice particularly as a you know a shopper because we know we haven't seen any of your animals yet. We'd love to. Um, that that outside of drawing those facts in, I think it's good just to be generic and and not talk about the details of the case online. Yep, yep. And I think drawing a line is is something that you've um, addressed or, or or tutored me and Mark in that um, don't get into a, a, a reply and a and a and a cross reply um, with with a negative review. Um, craft your reply and, and your comments regarding it, acknowledging that the the owner is not not happy with with your services and, and outline um, your reply, but don't um, get into a you know he said she she said they said we said um, because nobody wins, do they? When that happens, nobody wins, and and I. I've seen there's been a couple of those BuzzFeed, you know, lists of witty comebacks from business owners on, um, you know, on their Facebook reviews or Google reviews. Don't be tempted to try and play that game. It, I, I doubt that very few of them are real to start with. Um, and um, and certainly most of us veterinarians don't have the uh, the the talent to put something like that that into effect you never win when you try and outsmart you know what what's the saying um you are uh, if you get into a battle of wits with someone i can't remember but you get <laughs> don't argue with stupid people yes well i think with that mark um <laughs> we we've um we've covered some of the social media aspects that we that we were hoping to, and it's it is a difficult subject to deal with, isn't it? About the 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 approach and the pros and cons, and and what to do, not what to do. And I'm sure we'll revisit it sometime in the in the near future. And we welcome comments from our our subscribers, uh, vetgurus at gmail.com If you've got some tips about how to deal with uh, social media and and your methods of of promoting your clinic on social media what social media platforms do you use or not use and why 
um, you do or don't use those, we'd be we'd be very interested in finding out. And I think with that, Mark, we're, we're out of here for this week and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Thanks.